Everybody here invites you to turn in your Bibles to um, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I'll do our scripture reading this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, then also uh, Acts chapter uh, 4, verses 32 through 37. And so if you would follow along with me as I read Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47, and then 4, 32 through 37. And they, and the they here is the, um, the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God And having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4 verse 32. And the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' This is the reading of God's word. And let's pray. God, we we hear your word. And we will continue to hear your word. Lord, as we look at other passages of scripture related um, and connected to what we have read. And we ask God that you help us to understand. And then you help us to apply what it is that we have read in your word. We ask you do this through your son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So we are continuing uh, now. I think this is, is this only the second week? Second week in a, a series on who we are. Um, what is our identity as a, as a Christian church? And so to recap um, where we are right now, we're going to, in the course of this, um, this series, which is going to last probably about six or seven weeks or so, we're going to look at, um, at the church. What's the teaching about uh, the church? We're going to look at the practices of the church, the purposes of the church, the, the plan for the church, the, the pictures that God has given us to help us um, 
uh, get a picture in our mind of what the church is and what it's supposed to be. And then we're going to evaluate how are we doing? What do we need to do? What God might be telling us as a church that we need to uh, that we need to do or correct or fix. And so to recap, we started last week by looking at the practices of the church. And here we have a picture and what we've just read, especially in chapter two and chapter four. We have a beautiful picture of the early church. And we saw that this comes at the end of chapter two. Kind of to recap. This comes at the uh, at the end of this event called Pentecost, which was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, on the early church. Okay, we saw the event of Pentecost, which is the first 13 verses of chapter two. And then people were asking, what does this mean? What is going on here? And so Peter stands up in this large crowd and he gives an explanation of this event of Pentecost. He connects this to Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his future judgment and a call for salvation to go out to to all people. And it's what we read at the end of this is the effect of Pentecost. So you have this event, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Then you have this Christ-centered preaching of the gospel by Peter. And the result of that is a biblically functioning church. Beautiful picture of the church. Or as we call it, a spirit-filled and Christ-centered community. And last week we looked at this community as being uh, devoted as it says there in one of the first words of verse 42, and they devoted themselves. They were devoted. They were devoted to scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And today we're going to look at the the next um, thing that they were devoted to. And that is they were devoted to one another. You could follow along in your, your handout too. They were devoted to one another And the key word there is in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, the fellowship as a definite article there. So today, in order for us to kind of understand this and unpack this a little bit and see how this relates to other passages of scripture, um, I want to look at two Greek words that are going to guide us today. Um, So uh, we are going to get to learn two new Greek words. Are you excited? So I know some of the some of the geeky ones in here are kind of excited about it. Maybe some of the other will hopefully be excited about this. Um, And my wife is the least excited because, you know, she hates when I make everybody say these Greek words. But here's the first one. Here's this word, the Greek word for fellowship. And it is koinonia. Let me hear you say koinonia. Koinonia. Right. And so this is probably a familiar word. I think how many of you have heard this word used before koinonia? Uh, fellowship. Okay, it's the word for fellowship. This is the word. Um, it, it means that which is shared in common. That's ba- the basic meaning of the word. It's related to the word for common. That which is shared in common. And in the the New Testament scriptures, that word was uh, den- uh, denotes primarily the believers' common participation or fellowship. With one another and with God. Their common participation with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then um, their participation with with one another connected to that. So fellowship is essentially, it's 
sharing and in participating. It's on a horizontal plane. It's describing something that that happens horizontally, but that it also happens vertically too. And actually the vertical uh, fellowship informs the horizontal fellowship. And let me explain a little bit of what I mean uh, by that. Here's, here's a great example from 1 John chapter 1 and um, verse 3, where John writes, and he talks about that which we have seen, heard from the beginning, that which we have seen, that which is our hands have touched. And we saw this in the, the series on John, that this is the gospel of Jesus and about Jesus and of Jesus. John kind of resumes in, in verse 3, this kind of long introduction that he had started. And he says, that which we have seen and we have heard we proclaim also to you. He's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to a church. So that, and here's the purpose, why he's proclaiming this to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Here's that word koinonia again. So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's writing to them with this purpose to say, hey, you know, um, we're, you're a, a group of believers. John is, from, uh, is writing from another location or destination. He's writing to encourage them in their faith so that he could um, kind of reassure that they have fellowship with one another. But then he wants to add to that right at the, the end here. He says, and by the way, this fellowship is grounded first and foremost in the vertical. And indeed, by the way, indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus. And so that is what informs our fellowship with one another. OK, so fellowship with God kind of necessitates uh, this koinonia or fellowship with other believers. And our koinonia with others requires and is based on our fellowship or koinonia with God. Or I'll put it this way. You don't have, uh, you don't have fellowship, you don't have koinonia with others if they or you don't have it with God, right? And you don't have uh, koinonia in a, in a sense, you, you, you run the risk of not having koinonia with God if you don't have it with with other believers, like similar to what like John says later in this uh, book, he says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So see how the, the interplay here of this koinonia, this this relationship with God informs the koinonia we have with other people. And so it really is truly a Christian sort of fellowship. This is what's behind this word koinonia, right? So fellowship, sometimes to, uh, in kind of modern usage, we speak of fellowship, and it's usually just kind of shorthand for friendship. But fellowship is not merely friendship. Fellowship is a function of the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of believers 
And that one spirit connects those believers together and then they have fellowship with one another. You understand? So friendship um, is kind of at this level. Fellowship is at, uh, is at a different level. So fellowship with God then is, uh, um, requires growth in the gospel and growth in holiness. John goes on to say, and I don't, I don't have a slide for this, but he goes on to say in the next verses, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the goal of fellowship with one another is to encourage us in our fellowship with God. Fellowship with other believers is to encourage us in our walk with God and our walk with others. So true koinonia in that sense is not merely fellowship or it's not merely friendship. It's not social interactions. It has a it has a purpose. It's united in with the Holy Spirit for growth and change in our lives. So that's that first word. Let me hear you say koinonia. Okay. Now I want to introduce you to the second term here. And this is alelon. Okay. So it's pronounced A-L-L-E-L-O-N. Pronounced alelon. So let me hear you say alelon. Alelon. Here is the dictionary definition from the standard Greek dictionary for this term. Ready? A reciprocal reference between entities. Boo. That's lame. What does that mean? I, I read that to Janet last night. She's like, I don't, I don't know what that means. A reciprocal reference between entities. Here's how it is translated. Ready? One another. It's one another. It's one Greek term. We have to use two terms to translate it into English. One another. And in the New Testament, this, this term is used, um, especially in the letters, to instruct believers and in what they should do on behalf of other believers in the body of Christ. I'll say that again. It's used to instruct believers on all that we should do on behalf of other believers in the body of Christ. In other words, it's used to teach Christians how other Christians are to treat teach us as Christians how to treat other Christians within the family of God. And in particular, I think that means globally with the church capital C, but also with the local gathering of the church in lowercase um, c. So I want to kind of look at a couple of these one another's here. And uh, we're going to see how fellowship, koinonia, and one another's, this alelon, uh, work together, but I thought it might be helpful for us to look at some of the one another's of the New Testament. And there's a there are a lot, but I have a list of oh two four six eight ten twelve thirteen. So I have thirteen point sermon here for us. These will be quick. But here's a just to give you a picture of what the New Testament writers, what God is telling us in His Word about how we should be with. One another. Here's the first one. To welcome one another. 
to welcome one another or to show hospitality to one another. Romans 15. Therefore, welcome one another. And look at how it's grounded. As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christians are to welcome one another and they are to do so in full mindfulness of the fact that God, while you were an enemy, welcomed you in Christ. Or first Peter puts it this way and this welcoming at the horizontal level is based on, you know, the vertical of Christ welcoming us. And it means like show hospitality too. show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So welcome one another. There's the alelon. Welcome one another. Second one is to be united to one another. Or you could say this is speaks of unity or uh, as we read in Acts chapter 4 verse 32. This being of one heart and one soul. Or as Romans 12.5. So that. Uh, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There's a unity, a oneness that happens among Christians in Christian fellowship. So to be united to one another, to live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, live in harmony with one another, Paul instructs. And again, in verse chapter 15, may the Lord God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So welcome, unity, harmony, humility, to walk in humility with one another, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice how the the opposite of humility is pride and conceit. It leads to provoking and, and envying. He says the attitude that we should have among one another is one of humility. To serve one another. Paul in Galatians 5 says, You were called to freedom, freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So welcome, unity, harmony, humility, service, and ministry to one another. To speak the truth to one another. Ephesians 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we're to speak the truth to one another. We're to teach one another. Paul again, Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you. He's writing this church. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of Goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You could add to this, we could sing and teach one another, as Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians 5, that we could sing psalms and spiritual songs and encourage and instruct one another in that way. To teach one another, to encourage one another. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 10. Where the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This encouraging, this word, the word there to stir up is the word that's used for to incite a riot. To incite a riot, right? And so um, many of you probably seen pictures on TV or social media about riots happening. Can you imagine uh, people like Christians running the streets in riot of Love and good works. That's, that's, the, that's the picture he's giving here. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. Let us consider, let's think of plan, let's get together, strategize how we may stir up a riot. Stir each other up into a lather of love and good works. So encourage one another. And in, to edify one another. I know that's kind of a, an outdated term, to edify, but it's, Connected to the word to build up, you know, so the edifice would be a building, right? Um, Romans 14. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the word mutual. There is the alelone, the one another and for the one another upbuilding. Okay, or it's that's the term for for house building or building a house. Okay, so we could say it this way. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for Building up one another. So to teach, to encourage, to edify, to pray for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So to pray for one another. To bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or what Paul says in Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So welcome one another. Be united to one another. Harmony. Humility, service, speaking the truth, teaching or instructing one another, encouraging one another, building one another up or edify one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. Two more here to forgive one another. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And notice again. The horizontal is informed by the vertical as God in Christ forgave you. Or bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Fellowship involves forgiving one another and lastly, to love one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Or as Jesus uh, taught in John's gospel in multiple places, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. Changes our understanding on what it means to love others, doesn't it? When we think Jesus spells out, and I'm the example. And it is by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. John chapter 4 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And one more for love here. Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Like he said earlier in Galatians, Paul says. Dave Ramsey says, live debt free. Paul would say, well, there's one exception. You should have a constant state of indebtedness of love to one another. So that, that's a debt you can have. So welcome, unity, harmony, humility, serve, speak the truth, teach, encourage, edify, pray, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, and love one another. And I could have listed off many more. Uh, I left off probably about a half a dozen of greet each other with a kiss. Okay, but uh, greet one another with a kiss. We'll say that's a cultural thing. We won't, we won't implement that here. Okay, a hug will be fine. Handshake will be is even better. So how will we do this? Well, I, I think that the, the mechanism that that we use for this is. Um, is home groups. I think home groups is a very uh, excellent way for us to. To have fellowship with one another and to live out the one another's. With each other. Back to our passage, Acts chapter 2. Notice in verse 46. And it says, And day by day, attending the temple together. Now remember, we said it was, and by the day, devoting themselves. It's the same word there as up in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. And it says, and they devoted themselves by the day. And daily they were attending the temple together. Now, why were they doing that? Well, it's probably a very large uh, place for them to be able to gather all of the people, especially at this time as they were in Jerusalem for this feast of, of weeks, this feast of Pentecost. And so they were daily, they were gathering together to hear what the apostles were having to say. So they gathered together, you could say, as like a large corporate one body um, gathering. But they did more than just that. Look, at, it says, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So there was a time when they were together all as one big group. And then there were times when they were scattered into their individual homes and breaking in bread. And we're going to get to the breaking of bread part here in, in the next couple of weeks. But my point is, is that there was kind of this large, but there was also small. And so I think that the way for us to do that is through home groups. I've been asked this many times. So why did you give it the name home groups? Why not some of the more common names out there like small groups or community groups or growth groups? Or is it, what is the latest cutting edge name for these things now, right? I don't know. Do you know? Why didn't you give it one of those names? Well, 
Because I was thinking of breaking bread in their homes. So I was like, well, let's call them home, home groups. It doesn't matter what really they're called. You just need, uh, there just needs to be this dynamic of you're gathering together with a large group of people that you've co- committed to being a part as one body with and that you're also getting intimately connected with other groups of believers in smaller settings. And I'd say it this way, as you think through the one another's list, and there's a lot more, but just the 13 points that I laid out there, it's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to obey those uh, scriptural passages and commands for us to love and serve and honor and do all of those things. It's very difficult to do some of those just on Sunday. To forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Where does that happen? Just on Sunday? Or in other, when you're gathering together with other Christians? And still through our fallenness and brokenness, we offend and we need to ask forgiveness and we need to receive forgiveness. There's some ways that just as church kind of is practiced here in West Michigan, you kind of show up at church, you do your thing on Sunday, and then you leave, that you're never, ever going to have an opportunity to fulfill some of those one another lists. So I think home groups is an, is an excellent opportunity for us uh, to do that. The last several weeks, I've been trying to think through uh, like kind of a purpose statement for home groups. And I, I have uh, like a worksheet that's pretty long. It's a couple of pages. If I handed it to somebody, they would be like, I, I don't, this is way too long. It's too nice and flowery and wordy kind of language. And so I've been working on it. And so I thought I would present one to you today. And uh, I said, you know what? Forget it. Let me just give a real simple one. How about this? Okay. Here, first of all, and this is based off of our, um, our mission statement to remind ourselves of this, to glorify God by knowing Christ and making Christ known. So how can we, what kind of statement can we use to describe like what it is, what is home groups about? And so this is, this is what I came up with. A home group is the place where we fulfill the one another commands of the New Testament. Try to keep it short. Try to keep it simple. Or the context where we know Christ together and make Christ known among one another. What a beautiful picture. When I think of the... um, uh, And I've seen some of the numbers that churches put out in relation to... Um, people's involvement in the church, a, a great deal of, of church attendees, um, a high percentage of them will attend a Sunday morning service and that's it. It's a pretty high percentage. And that's great. As long as the, the word of God is being preached, that scripture is being expounded, that they're properly administering the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper, That's great. 
But there's a huge section that uh, don't participate in anything else and don't have any sort of connection relationally uh, with others in the church. Some are okay with that. Others wish they had more. Others wish they had those kind of relationships and deep relationships, real relationships. I feel like this is home groups is an excellent way for us to have those deep, true fellowship, true koinonia relationships where we fulfill the one another's with each other. So it really is the place where the one another commands, we can fulfill the one another commands of the New Testament. Where we together know Christ and make Christ known. So how can you, what, that's what we do, what, what should you do? Well, I would encourage you to get into a home group. No, we have several home groups that meet. We have uh, some that meet on Sunday nights. We have some that meet on Wednesday nights. And we have uh, openings. We will always have openings. Even if we have to multiply that group out and kind of split them up, we have openings. And so if you're looking for an opportunity to live out the one another commands of the New Testament in a way beyond just Sunday morning, in a way which cannot be done on Sunday morning alone, would you consider being a part of a home group? If you'd like to know more about home groups, I think you could come and talk to me or you could talk to Steve or Dennis or Paul or Jared and get your name in. And we would love to get you plugged in to one of our home groups somewhere. Now, full disclosure, I know there's many people here who are involved in in a home group. But if you if you're not involved in a home group, uh, I would really encourage you to. And I fully understand that uh, I know that there are seasons which this is this can be difficult. For example, like you have new babies or you've had health issues or job changes. And I understand um, that there's times which, you, you know, you take a break from doing those kinds of things. But if you are able to get connected into a group where you can have fellowship, true Christian fellowship with other believers, I encourage you to do so. That will help us as a church to fulfill uh, our mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. It will help you to grow in your relationship with Christ and it will help you to grow in your obedience to him. So home group, the place where we fulfill the one another commands of the New Testament, where we know Christ together and make Christ known among one another. Where we have real, true Christian fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this picture that you've given of your church. This community of people that was a product of the pouring out of your Holy Spirit and your word, the gospel expounded. God, I pray for us that we more and more grow to resemble this spirit-filled, Christ-centered community. I pray that all who profess the name of Christ here would resolve to be devoted, devoted to one another, devoted to your word, and devoted to fellowship and living out the one another's together. God, I pray that your gospel would do that in our hearts and in our lives. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You will stand for closing benediction. And just a reminder... Of our offering boxes outside on the table. And over here is a table full of free resources. I've been cleaning out my um, storage unit that had boxes and boxes of books. And, and I was thinking, this is just a waste for these to be sitting in here um, in this storage unit. So if you would, please go over there for yourself or for somebody else. If you see a book or something that you like, take it. Please take it. If you don't keep it, you want to give it away, take it. Welcome to do that. Now, brothers and sisters, hear this word of benediction. And notice it had as one of our words in it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship, koinonia, of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you go. Thank you. Thank you.